Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause. Today, we've got a really astounding guest, Lee Chambers, founder of Essentialize. And it's really amazing to me when I started to research him and understand a little bit more about what he does, how much he does and how much he is a environmental psychologist, which is the coolest sounding thing I've ever heard. And when I tried to understand what it is, I was like, wow, I I don't know what this is. Thanks, Lee, for coming on the show and uh, welcome. It's a pleasure, Sean. So in research, I got to know like you do well-being coaching, you do life coaching, you have nutrition skills, you understand cognitive analysis, you understand the psychology of like the environment around people and how the environment impacts them. I found it so amazing to see. And then you can bring business process into this whole thing. This is amazing thing that you call environmental psychology. And it seems like what that traditionally is, you've kind of left behind and created your own path forward from there too. So just tell me, what is it that you don't do? There's so many things that I don't know. What kind of thing, if I do have an interconnected skill set. We all do, in theory. We just don't often dive deep enough to realize how things are connected and then spend some time reflecting to join the dots. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, that's actually something, uh, one of these coaches, of course, whenever like you want to think of a book, you can't think of it offhand, but like the generalist is the new leader nowadays, right? Like when you're able to understand a different industry and a different problem from what you typically work on, you just suddenly can apply it in a different way and become much more successful than all the other businesses around you in that space. And, you know, skills have to transfer across. More so, as so many people niche very deeply and become incredibly specialized, it's almost like like medication where you get one particular isolated symptom that's treated, but Mm -hmm. 10 side effects because we all work in such interconnected systems. So my philosophy on environmental psychology and workplace well-being is to look at in how systems are integrated and how they compoundly benefit each other rather than going in and trying to fit, isolate one problem and fix that is to make small marginal gains in a number of areas that compound together and i kind of i'm very much a, a proprietor of the idea that things are interconnected and we need to push numerous performance factors and numerous well-being factors together instead of just trying to solo down on one thing and increase that because that kind of that narrow vision is a big causation of many of the problems we face today yeah it's really interesting and uh, i mean i even like i love the holistic concept and mindset and I mean, that's even what got me started on like this podcast concept was, you know, business is about more than just results and it's about more than just money, right? It's about there's social impact that you can have beyond and there's the impact you have on the, the lives of the people that you're working with. And there's so much more and it's just so important to remember that sometimes, especially when you've had a lot of success. So tell me then, how do you define what an environmental psychologist typically is and... Do you, what is it do you do like beyond that or within that? Yeah. 
yeah. So within the realm of environmental psychology, there is a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things. And many of my contemporaries work on marine preservation, water conservation, rainforest conservation, and there's many people researching and applying different theories around sustainability and regeneration. And I kind of taken a step away from that more to look at the human health effects of our environments. And my main, the main focus of my work is to look at our sleep environment and our workplace environments. And the driver for that for me is that as humans, we spend around eight hours in a sleep environment and around eight hours in a work environment. And most of our working time is in environments that we don't always design or have that much control over, especially the workplace element. So I've combined the principles of assessing workplace environments to make them more regenerative towards well-being. Because in principle, what that actually does is if you're able to produce regenerative environments, people leave work in a better place. And I tie that into attempting to change and move workplace culture towards moving away from that principle, again, of isolation of shareholders of profit to actually look the whole stakeholder picture, society, customers and clients, employees, investors, partners, collaborators. How can we do something for everyone instead of just focusing myopically on one particular KPI or one quantitative number? So combining those two together, my philosophy is we can make people feel better when they leave work than when they go in. And in the bigger picture, to even spread that out further, people who leave work happy go and spread happiness to their partners, to the children, to the people who they drive past, to the local community. Really, my whole mission is to make the world a happier place. And if everyone was a bit happier, then what an amazing world it would be. Yeah, that's really powerful and inspiring. And now I, it's even brought a smile to my face. That's really awesome. Okay, so what is it that you enjoy most about what you do and why is it so meaningful to you? It's very meaningful because generally speaking, as we go into a business, we work on the first level of awareness quite often because most people aren't aware of how they interact with their environments and they aren't aware of the effects of their sleep and the nutrition Everyone seems to have good baseline of understanding about what's probably not good to eat or you should go to bed a bit earlier. But no one really connects the tangible benefits and how powerful these things that are given to us are. So it's fulfilling as people become more enlightened through the process. But what is more fulfilling is people become empowered and start to take ownership for their own decisions. And it's also empowering on a more organisational level to see organisations start to question why they exist, start to think about themselves as a vehicle for change. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm in that place where I'm saying to people, you know what, Uber and Airbnb are not the most sustainable businesses in the world. But mm -hmm. in the last financial crisis, they evolved and became being, and they now take a big part of an industry. Over the course of 10 years, I've gone from nothing to, you know, significant. As sustainability is on the calendar and we actually look, maybe we need to be more regenerative. And over 150 of the 200 most financially wealthy entities are companies. So it's going to be companies who drive change in the future, not necessarily nations anymore, because they've just got the financial resources to do so. So it's saying to the, I focus on medium-sized companies who are at that place where they're receptive to change 
and mm-hmm. they're starting to in the UK they're starting to sign up to CSR and do a bit for charity and a bit of the how should we say tick box yeah but not starting to align it into the values and the cultures they propose and I understand that from an environmental psychologist point of view environmental behavior starts from a culture and if your workplace is congruent and believes in sustainability and shows that espouses that in the communications and the way that they act then people go home and are more environmentally responsible and if a company looks after the staff develops them and ensures that the mental health and physical health is intact while in the workplace they go home and they're not worrying about the health they're not anxious and they're not as stressed and they're more likely to be pro-environmental so it's looking at how can we boost people and boost companies. And at the end of the day, it's beneficial to everyone, beneficial to every human on the planet and the planet itself. And it sounds like a no-brainer, but getting that message across is what is fulfilling. Because sometimes it's you face resistance, you face challenge, you face obstacles, and you're telling companies to possibly sacrifice short-term aims and short-term figures. And when you get that shift, when you get that nudge, it's incredibly fulfilling. Well, and I guess in today's environment, right? Now we're May 7th, 2020, in the heat of the coronavirus epidemic. And companies are faced with challenges they've never seen before. Many of them, especially these younger companies. And we have to make really tough choices. And a lot of people have to stay home. And there's so many other things happening. Do you feel like like now, is this a more important time than ever to be starting to consider these things? Is this the kind of thing that you should hold off on? How do you play this into something now? And especially like people's environment now as they're remote, does that have yeah. an impact on how they do business? Yeah. Most certainly. And there's numerous different strands as I've worked with clients over this, these past two months. And firstly is the shift to remote working means that now Many employees are in control of their own working environment, yet the employers are still responsible for making sure that, you know, they've assessed the workplace from a physical musculoskeletal point of view, that the staff are sat correctly and not putting themselves at danger of, you know, neck strain, back problems, eye issues, and also the mental health naturally anxiety levels are raised among the whole population in many ways simply because of the sheer impact and scale of what's going on. So the, there's a need to bolster well-being and boost well-being there as well. And it's a challenge for some management teams to work remotely. Some companies are obviously have innovated more with this than others. And the ones who have implemented it have had time to put training in place, acclimatization periods for people working from home, and you know the systems and the technology are there. For some of the more traditional companies who've resisted this, it's gone from office to home in two weeks with very little training, very little preparation. And that in itself is stressful. Communication changes when we're remote in a significant way that communication needs to be clear, boundaries need to be set. People struggle to deal with the fact that you can see if someone's struggling in the office if they're having a bad day. And, you know, there's a few curt words exchanged, but you know it's because that person's a bit stressed. If you're not in the office with them and they're having a bad day, you don't see it. So we don't react to it in the same way. We don't have that atmosphere in the office when it's, you know, it's deadline day and it's getting a bit pressured. You have to be very careful how you communicate when it's remote. And in the more kind of bigger picture of things, I believe that the culture is gradually changing. This crisis is going to cause us to hit a different point when we leave it. 
which is going to be more absorbent towards employees' well-being and employee benefits and the potential of working a bit more flexibly. And in terms of what, you know, what's, what's happening environmentally, suddenly there was a lot less cars on the road. There was an environmental shift and suddenly there was less pollution. On the other side, there's always going to be challenges around that. But sustainability, it's not going away. We, if we carry on like we are in many ways, it's not going to be a great place in the world in about 50 years. So that responsibility to change is even more pertinent now. And as humans, we are we're so much more innovative, adaptive and creative in a crisis. And it's this crisis which I feel will open the absorbency for companies to actually have that time to slow down a bit and really align with the values. The statistics show that the companies who've been promoting sustainability from within and are very aligned with the values, strangely, are very resilient at the moment. Uh, that's some information I've got from numerous statistics coming out of American companies. So it's not surprising that those who've been a bit future thinking are now have the mindset and the resilience to weather what is an interesting storm. You know, that's a, a really interesting point you have on the future focus. And I know um, you spoke a little bit in the past about challenges you've had to overcome and maybe how like that mentality it helped you along the way. Can you share kind of what challenges you've had in the past, how you've overcome them? I think it's especially important these times for people that may be facing similar issues and, you know, how they understand themselves in these moments and how they overcome them. Certainly. So I've I've had quite a few challenges in my life so far. I've had some mental health challenges while at university. And those kind of surrounded the transition from childhood to adulthood and looking after myself and trying to understand my own place in the world as an adult and as a man. And I'm on the autistic spectrum, so that causes its own challenges. But 15 years ago, the understanding around that wasn't the same as it is today. So I found that particular period of my life difficult and I struggled. I didn't really have the emotional intelligence to delve deep with inside myself and to kind of discover myself and bring my own authenticity out. Again, I didn't really have the communication skills as a young male. I didn't really have a great example from my own father. So in many ways, I struggled through that period and managed to graduate and then get a graduate job and then lost that to the credit crunch. So that was kind of like the first real ripple in my life. But what that actually did is, in some ways, it triggered parts of my head to say, well, I can't rely on corporate corporate companies to, number one, propel my career, number two, for my own professional development. Because when I lost that job and was made redundant, I lost my professional qualification as well. So I'd originally gone to be a financial advisor because I had a real passion for people's financial well-being, making sure they were recovered for their future. And I lost that. And then that in many ways, made me think, right, I need to take ownership of these things for myself. So that caused me to build a video game business, which was then a vehicle for me to do numerous professional qualifications. And that actually led to me and ended up with me working in elite sport, which was another eye-opener and changed my worldview slightly as I saw so much money being poured into so few people for such little performance. But the experimentation levels that were there and how future focused they were on making the tiniest gains. The big thing for me and the big challenge that I went through is I lost the ability to walk not long after going into elite sport. And that put me in hospital for a month. 
my wife was pregnant with my daughter and my son was 18 months old. It was a very difficult time. And I then came out of hospital and went into walking rehab and then into intensive physio and hydrotherapy. And the big thing for me, I initially grieved for my independence and my mobility. I'd gone from being, you know, a very athletic and outgoing 29 year old to having everyone look after me in the space of five days. And that was a real challenge to get my head around. But the more I reflected, the more I realized I, I had been incredibly ungrateful for so many things that I took for granted. And now I'd lost them. It sure gives you a good kick to be grateful. Mm-hmm. And I was then of the mindset that I'm going to get back walking again. And my daughter was born. And I said to myself, by the time she learns to walk, I'll be walking as well. And that powerful powerful reasoning of why and that willpower to you know go every day and do my exercise and get myself back on my feet it was a real driver a real journey and I really pushed I wanted to take ownership of my disease and say the medication and sat here in a wheelchair not going to be powerful for me if I actually take the accountability to myself and take the ownership I, I know I can do it and that kind of rebounded from a crisis, that fuels a lot of my work now. And that's took me on a journey recently to be able to become medication free, as in I now control my chronic disease from what I eat, the amount that I sleep and the movement that I make. And as of next month, with the help of my consultant over the past year, I'll be off any medication that controls my illness and I'll be controlling it myself. Wow. Congratulations on that. I mean, that's, I can't imagine going through something like that and like even the moment that it happened, when it first happened, I mean, you said it was over the course of five days. What were those first emotions going through your head? Did you feel like giving up? Was there fear of forget the future like tomorrow? What happened and how did that feel? How did you overcome it? Yeah, so to give a very quick overview, it started on a Friday and my wrist locked in place. And I just thought, mm, maybe I've used the computer too much. I think I'll take a rest this weekend. Then on the Sunday, my knee locked in place while driving back from a meal and put me, when I went back into the house, I kind of shed a tear of it because I knew it was serious. But I then hobbled to the doctors on Monday. They give me some corticosteroids to try and take the swelling down. But then on Tuesday, my shoulder locked in place and I was still, you know, oh, I'm sure these medications. Woke up on Wednesday, my my other knee had locked in place and I couldn't move. And my mother-in-law took me to hospital and I was wheeled through. Consultant looked at me and said, yep, serious. And I was straight through to the back of the hospital. And just that, it's very difficult to comprehend taking that, you know, taking that hit of crisis initially. But I kind of feel that some of the challenges I'd went through before had helped me catalyze and alchemize something that's difficult into, okay, so this has happened, but maybe this suffering's come for me to grow more. Maybe this suffering is a, is a lesson for taking things for granted. Almost, you know, our life's journey, there's going to be lots of obstacles, lots of sacrifices. We're climbing a mountain. It's not a flat path. So these moments of resistance and challenge, I've grown as a man, as a father, as a son, as a husband, and just as a human being through these challenges. And I wouldn't be so committed to my cause now if it weren't for those challenges. Yeah, that's so powerful. I, like, I don't know what to say now. I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. And it's really inspiring, especially for people now, like some people sick, some people's families are sick from this. I'm sure even for yourself, you're worried, like just going outside because of having like an immuno issue and this being something that can completely attack that, you know, this with the pandemic, it's, I'm sure it's tough, but you've already experienced tougher and I uh, really feel like it's going to be uh, remarkable to see where you go and where this company goes. Sometimes overcoming those kinds of challenges are just, there's so much to making future success. Yeah, I think challenges are what make us. This is a challenging time now and I kind of see, and the more challenges you go through and you pick apart the failures and look for the little bits of gold. I almost say like an oyster isn't created unless a parasite gets inside and then the oyster creates a pearl. If there's no parasite, there's no uncomfort, discomfort, no crisis, no attack, there's no pearl. And it's like, I kind of feel that's like a, that's like a really good metaphor for life. Every time something attacks you, there's a little bit of irritant there that you can take and make something amazing out of. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's take it into your business a little bit. And I mean, we talked a lot about your purpose and we talked about your personal challenges. How do you know that you've created the impact on the world that you want? How will you know like when you've succeeded there? I suppose in some ways it's quite abstract. I always, you always have those measurable goals and I've almost formulized it to try and have it so that I know how, how many people I've impacted. But in many ways, if I'm connected with my purpose throughout my life and I manage to, you know, ascend the peaks that I'm trying to ascend at the minute, and I believe this is the right peak. Now, who knows? I might get to the top and look and see that actually this is just another mountain to climb. I imagine that the way I'll know is when I die, what they'll say at my funeral. And that yeah. is kind of, that's, that's my measuring stick. I've got my, you know, my eulogy in my head. And that's what I, that's what gets me waking up every day. I kind of have an icky guy card by the side of my bed. Mm-hmm. That I wake up and that's the first thing that I look at. Don't look at my phone. Don't go into other people's realms and worlds, email and social media or news. I look at that icky guy card, sit there and it just reinforces why I do what I do. And that kind of connection to what you're doing and what happens is your values are strong. You rub your daily choices up against those values. And, you know, you kind of, I've kind of set my identity to be who I am mm-hmm. and kind of live to that. And also look in the future and say, is, is this the person that I want to become? Are these actions congruent with that? I actually question myself quite a lot to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm rooted in what I want to do. And that's, that sometimes can be quite challenging in itself. But I just know that when I kind of look, I'm happy. And happiness isn't a distant shore that you're traveling towards. It's more like a guiding star that's a compass for your actions. And you have those moments of joy and those moments of frustration and those feelings, those feelings of power and those feelings of helplessness all on that journey. In many ways, for my business to have an impact I want the world to be a better place. And if I'm, if when I'm on my deathbed, I can say that I made a difference in the world, that will mean I can pass to whatever world I pass on to, happy and fulfilled. So let's bring it on to your clients. 
Can you share a little bit about maybe one client you've worked with? What's the biggest success you've had with them? Okay, so one client that we work with, they have 112 employees and they, they worked in quite a traditional way. The management style was very much non-transformative and the culture was very much, you know, get yourself into work in one piece, do your job, go home. Very few processes that actually looked at the development of the staff. They had quite high turnover of staff. They weren't retaining the, the good operatives that they had. And I went in and kind of analyzed this and said, do you have processes for the engagement of your employees? And it's like, okay, so how much do you look your employee development, your employee happiness, do you, do you measure any of these things? To be honest, it was very much where HR there, they were more focused on disciplining people for being late than they were for making sure people were in the right mental place. And that had an impact on the whole company. I spoke to the employees confidentially and they said, it's like a toxic atmosphere here. So that kind of benchmarked a reality. No one was happy coming into the workplace. That's why people weren't staying. That's why they weren't attracting the best talent. That's why productivity was down, why sickness was high. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes, you, you know, you go to the management and there's always, there's quite often someone on the team who's like, yeah, that makes some sense. I, I go to the leadership team, you know, five men in the 50s, all look fairly similar. And I'm here, quite young, almost look like I've got an attitude problem. I put to them, I say, this is something that we can measure. This is something that we can embed. We can plan strategies. It can be delivered. One guy pops up and says, how much is this going to cost? What's the return on investment in this? And yep. then it's kind of like, then you have to get, nice and technical and actually show exactly what, what they're losing at the moment due to mistakes, due to conflict and due to sickness and absence. And then you're like, you know, you are losing over a hundred thousand pounds at the moment, just in these three areas. I'm not going to charge you a hundred thousand pounds to come and, you know, change it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to even charge you half of that. You've got buying and it's like, okay, right. So let's make some changes. So I worked with this company for six months. And that, in a lot of ways, is longer than I would want to work with a company. But given their starting point and where I wanted to take them to, it was going to take time to shift that needle, to nudge that culture, and to bring that awareness and understanding in. So we worked in on three different aspects. I did cultural and collaboration training with the leadership and management teams. I did small health awareness training and understanding well-being and sustainability for the small employee teams. And then I worked with every new recruit who came in because really cultural change for business requires buying from the top, understanding from people who are already there and the awareness and responsibility and the kind of development of people coming in to complete the whole triangle and actually make it a shift that embeds and that actually sticks and strategies are in place. And after six months, they it was a completely different company and that for me was just very difficult to put words to how i felt when i left still to this day that company has become one of the best companies in their industry of their size to work for and given that it's in a small northern town in the uk where traditional methods still in many ways the go-to 
we are probably about 10 years behind, you know, the West Coast of the USA in terms of how we look at employee well-being and engagement. And people laugh, but it's true. I mean, London is five years behind California. Mm-hmm. And in the North here, some places are 10 years behind. They're not, adap- they're not adopting things until, you know, the cutting edge have adopted it 10 years ago. And it's only now that, you know, people here are starting to go to the management and ask for development. And it's like, for so long, they sat there and waited for the management to come and say, oh, here's a trading course, you can go on it. And it's just that those prevailing attitudes and millennials have started asking for flexible working and people are actually starting to think that, you know, work has to be a bit more than just work. What's the purpose? You know, why do I want to work for this company? Are you a vehicle to something bigger? Are you creating a better world? And it's great because people are actually starting to ask those questions. I mean, I've been asking those questions for a while, but when other people start understanding, and I've been going into education and advising the next generation of graduates, these are the questions you need to be asking in an interview. Don't sit there and be grilled. You're just as powerful enough and have every right to say, what difference are you making? What's the purpose? What are your values? I don't want a fluffy mission statement that could be used for any company across the world. I want to know why you exist, how you make that difference, and what you do to make that difference. It sounds a little bit like when you come into the company to a potential client, they may not necessarily know or realize the impact that you can have on them or the ways that you work. So how do you find that potential client or how does that potential client find you and how do you know when they're the right fit for your business? So I do quite a lot of networking in the small and medium-sized enterprise arena. And that allows me to identify companies that I feel can make a difference and possibly just need that external push to get internal processes so that the embed and strategies are in place. And quite often it requires you to find one person in the company who is incredibly passionate. So one of the biggest challenges is finding that person. But as I transverse my network and understand people more, and in many ways I've been utilizing this as a pilot to then take this on a bigger scale, knowing that this particular size of company, they don't have the, you know, the thousands and thousands and thousands and the, all the corporate layers. I can actually penetrate deep enough to make that change now as a smaller entity. And I know that if I can perfect that now, I will be more effective doing this on a corporate level. So in many ways, it's leveraging my network and understanding many different industries, what the challenges in the current moment. And in many ways, you, you have to go in there and sometimes say that, well, sometimes I'm going in saying, I'm going to, I'm going to help you with your processes. I'm going to help you become more profitable. I'm going to help you take a more bigger picture view. And more importantly, I'm going to come in and make your business more future-proof because let's be honest, if you, come to, if you go to a business and say, I'm going to help you with your well-being strategy, well, they'll be like, oh, I can get a yoga, I can get a yoga teacher in and some fruit bowls. And, it, and it's like, in the same way, that if you go and try and sell environmental psychology to a business, they just imagine you're a health inspector coming in, looking at, <laughs> and telling them that they're doing things wrong, or an environmental, environmental consultant coming in saying you're polluting this and your cleaning products are not to mm-hmm. standard and all this stuff here is going to burn your stuff. 
So you have to go in, tell a business that you're going to improve processes because well-being needs to be integrated into processes and so does sustainability. And that brings its own return. But environmental psychology doesn't sell. Different people in this area approach it a different way. And I approach it in a way that I can develop lots of areas of your business to make your business waterproof, to make your business future-proof and to make a business that attracts the best talent and has motivated, productive staff. Some people go in and work, say, it's all about your brand or your marketing. You've got to look this way. Mm-hmm. Some people get in that way. And there is a few people out there that I know, a few good, a few good friends in the industry who go in and say, if you carry on like you are, in 20 years, you won't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their own approach bringing well-being and sustainability into business but for me it's getting in there making an impact and then nudging the culture gradually from inside once you've shown that you can make a difference once you've shown what you can do and in so many ways that is the way to build those relationships so that people trust you and then your passion and your desire it shines through and people take that and you become a bit of a beacon for other people in the business to become a bit of a beacon and they make a little beacon community together, then they drive culture change from within. Because you don't want to be that consultant who's within the business for five years, keep going back, keep going back, because you're not embedded the change. Mm -hmm. You're still bringing the change. Change isn't external, change is internal. External just helps you leverage certain skills. And my whole aim is to go in and be quite quick in inciting that change to start moving get them the initial momentum and then let the energy from inside the company push that momentum further. You know, there's something really interesting that I just kind of recognized from our conversation and that's what momentum is, right? You started the conversation with me around just small little things that happened to you where, you know, I mean, they weren't small, right? Not downplaying them at all, but you started in college and you had these, you had the mental issues that you had to overcome then you had the impact going into business, into you know the corporate world where you couldn't make the difference. And it's these little moments that trickle out to a bigger circle of impact, to a bigger circle of impact. And what you're doing when you go into business and you work with someone is that same thing. It's find the one thing that's valuable now. And then, you know, it's not like a ripple effect. It's almost like a bubble effect, right? Now I've turned this into catalysts that can drive for this change too, that turn into a bigger piece and a bigger piece. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss about how change happens, right? And how momentum is gained. It's gained from one person and growing outward into many people and building that circle. Yeah. And I kind of see it in numerous different ways. I see the corn of care. So if I bolster one person, that's the person that helps other people, then they will be more well equipped to help their people. And that's how you make, you know, that consistent change, but also how you kind of look at it. It is that kind of wheel. And when you start, you're pushing it (laughs) and it takes a long time to get it moving, but it's about building communities. Culture doesn't change with one man on his soapbox chanting. You have to, you have to almost build a tribe, but you need to equip that tribe to go and recruit other tribes. Culture change doesn't happen with just one person. And I started collaborating with more and more people who who have the same values and the same vision that I do. And it's not been easy because 
when I'm speaking to people in, you know, the psychology and the well-being sectors, 98% of them, they are kind-hearted people with heart-centric desires. Many of them are connected to something bigger and have gone through challenges and want to make a difference. They don't have that understanding of impacting on a wider scale of taking it to business where business drives change and it's been a challenge finding those people but gradually started to make my own little tribe of people who all are trying to achieve a similar goal and it's the impact of not just me now but the impact of us and that's incredibly powerful to have people arm in arm to march with and again it's just to, to make that impact, it's, it's always wider. It's a funnel. And you start off with a pinprick, gradually get that bit wider, that bit wider. And it doesn't happen overnight, but you're going to make a long-lasting difference, a difference that actually, you know, does something. You need to keep pushing. You need to keep making that difference. Yeah. And so is that your biggest challenge right now? Is it really building that that tribe around you now to bring you from the impact that you can have directly in one corporation to how do you build the tribe of people that can now have that impact in many corporations at the same time? Yeah. So, I mean, I would and have expressed that to be my biggest challenge to find the people who I align with on such a level that I could go in to a company under their brand or they could go in under my brand and it would be totally congruent. And they would they see the world the same way as me. They deliver in their own authentic style, but with the same values, the same drive, and the same big vision in many ways. It's a big vision of a massive challenge smashed into thousands of pieces. And those thousands of pieces, I'm taking one of those pieces every day and doing it. One piece a day, one piece a day to create something massive. And again, when you're speaking to hundreds of people and so few are even on that wavelength, it's challenging. It can possibly be a little bit disheartening, but you know that when you find the right people, that connection is there and it's so strong. So now I've got a few collaborators on that basis. And what we've realized is we've all been honing our skills and our messaging, our communication on similar sized businesses across the UK. And that puts us in a perfect position to collaborate together to deliver in bigger businesses. So that is the pathway that we're currently on as we look to when the virus subsides and the culture is absorbent to sustainability and well-being. As companies look to rebuild, it's a great time to rebuild in a more sustainable way, in a way that you know your employees are kept well, both physically and mentally, and we honestly believe that we can take it a lot further with a lot more momentum because of the challenges we've gone through. Combining together, it's not to the power of, it's not like one plus one, it's like one plus two. And then with someone else, it's like two to the power of three. It's like the multiplication isn't, it's not just you know linear, it extrapolates. And that's incredibly exciting and incredibly empowering at the same time. Yeah. You know, you, you hit on another point too there kind of tucked away that a lot of times when someone's in business, they see everyone else that's in the same business as them as a competitor and they're very hesitant to share their ideas. And what you're doing is kind of different. You're collaborating, right? You're finding similar businesses with similar mindsets 
and looking for ways to build partnerships to grow together. Yeah. I mean, the beauty of it is you do come across people. They're not willing to collaborate. They fear you possibly stealing their IP or stealing their clients. Again, that's almost part of the filtering process. Yep. But when you espouse values of coming together, of making teams work, of building businesses that are sustainable, that have cultures of care, of well-being, you would be you would be you would be mindless to think that, you know, other people with that similar mindset are going to be competition. Really, they enhance your power and with those same values. And it's the same values that enable collaboration within business and that trust and that alignment, that very clear clarity, sense of purpose where you're able to articulate it to each other and you just resonate. People resonate on, on that same wavelength and you just know it. You just bounce off each other. The energy's there. You just become passionate as each other speak. And when you feel that, that energy, mm-hmm. I mean, we all, we all vibrate to a certain frequency. And when you hit those few people with the same frequency as you, and they're willing to work, you, know, you understand they're willing to work in that collaborative model because they want bigger impacts. You want bigger impacts. It's to the point where, you know, discussions on the financial implications, they come like third in the list. Yeah, you're sensible to have a contract and agreements in place, but it's not all about the money. It's about the difference we can make. And it just, it does infuse you with energy when you kind of, and that's going to be the future of working in many ways, collaborating together, teams who are more powerful than groups who are knitted together, actually, you know, in a situation where, they don't turn up on the sunny days. They turn up when it's raining as well. Yeah, I mean, that's even something I've seen in the coaching industry overall, that there's a big change. You know, a lot of, like, I think it's like over 50% companies of clients aren't hired directly. They're hired through companies at, like, the executive coaching level. And now you have the big corporations that they don't want to hire the individual coaches. They want to hire, like, the brokering agency that can bring in those clients because they can offer more than just the coaching. And I think with what you're building here, it speaks a lot true to that concept and it brings it to a whole other level. So if you could make everyone in the world do one thing differently after this interview, what would that one thing be? That one thing would be to sleep for an hour more. And it's amazing, but we've gone from 10 hours of sleeping before the light bulb to eight hours when the TV was invented, to 6.7 hours a night for us Westerners. And that, over the course of 200 years, is wreaking havoc with our health, our emotions, how we treat each other, our relationships. Its impact is massive. If everyone got an extra hour's sleep, the world would be a happier place overnight. I mean, look at daylight savings time. When they change the clocks, change them, change them and lose an hour, and suddenly heart attacks spike and crime spikes. When you put it back, it reduces. Just one hour. That's it. The world's a different place. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And uh, I think what's also amazing about that is I literally just made a goal for myself. I'm like, I'm going to sleep one hour less to have one hour more during the day. So now I might have to rethink that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... I mean, this has been awesome having you on, and I love that we were able to hit on so many different topics in this time, but I know there's a lot more that you have to offer. So where can our listeners go to learn more about you? 
and what you do and where can they sign up with you? Yeah, the best place to go is leechambers.org. But I'm also on social media, Instagram at Essentialized Coach and Twitter at Essentialize. And I do also have a website for Essentialize, which is www.essentialize.co.uk. Awesome. And for those uh, Americans listening in, it's Essentialize with an S, not a Z. So I'll uh, share the links on the podcast, but awesome. Yeah. And Lee, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure to have you and I look forward to hosting you again soon. It's a privilege, Sean.